Real Talk. Let's talk about it. Well, good evening. And uh, we thank you for joining our Saturday night service. While we're not together physically, we're so thankful that we can be together online and uh, we can worship together and we can hear God's word together. And we thank, uh, we thank God for our tech team and all the work they have done uh, to make this possible. You know, besides not seeing you personally, the one thing I miss uh, with you not being here physically is knowing if, if my humor works. But actually, one staff member reminded me uh, she said, with the room full or with the room empty, the response to your humor is pretty much the same. So um, I meant, did I mention that's a former staff member as of that comment? But we are glad to be here and uh, we're glad that you're joining us online. And I just want to say a couple things before we open uh, God's word. First, the chapel offices will be open at all of our campuses during the normal business hours this coming week. Also, all ministry events have been canceled this week. All ministry events have been canceled. And in the South Hills, the fitness center will not be open. I want to remind you about the relevant parenting conference that's uh, next Saturday, March the 21st. We're excited to let you know that instead of a physical conference uh, the so at the South Hills campus, we're now going to be doing that conference online. Dave DiDonato and his team will be contacting all those who have registered and they'll give you all the instructions regarding the conference and you actually get uh, your packet as well. We want you to know that we are monitoring the COVID-19 situation throughout the week and we'll be communicating to you regarding our services for next week and so please stay tuned to that. Psalm 20 verses 7 and 8 say this, uh, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. This is a time, isn't it, for believers trusting in the Lord our God to rise and stand upright and to demonstrate to a watching world that we, in fact, don't trust in things around us, but we trust in the Lord our God. So let's pray and ask God for his help in that and as we look at his word this evening. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares for us. We have been singing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. And Lord, that is our confidence and that is our comfort and that is our encouragement regardless of what we're going through. And we pray, Father, that you would always remind us that you are with us, that you are on our side, and that uh, our, our, our strength comes from you alone. We thank you, Lord, that we can meet together uh, digitally. We can meet together online. And we pray, Father, that you would bless uh, us as we come together. And speak to us as only you can do. You are not bound by a room. You're not bound by any limitation. And so speak to us, Father, as only you can do through your word. We have absolutely nothing to say unless you say it, and we can't hear unless you keep away the distractions. I pray, Father, that you would drive home your word tonight. In Christ's name, amen. 
Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we continue our study through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Let me set the context uh, as we dig into the scripture this evening. Uh, five or six years after Paul started the church in Corinth, a group from the church went to meet Paul in Ephesus. Paul was now on his third missionary journey. And that group presented Paul with several issues regarding the church in Corinth. You remember, uh, we've been talking about in our study, there was sexual immorality uh, in Corinth. And things were happening that even the pagans said were offensive. There was uh, people, the married couples were using sex in marriage as a weapon instead of the great gift that God had given them. There were divisions in the church that were threatening the unity. Drunkenness and pride filled the church. And instead of the church impacting the culture around them, the church was impacted by the culture. Now, besides sharing the sinful issues that were going on in the church, this group brought Paul several questions, several things that were being discussed and debated and things that were causing contention within the church. One of the issues, interestingly, was the issue regarding engaged couples getting married and widows getting remarried. And so what I want to do is to work through this passage And then I want us to look at five lessons that are very applicable uh, to us today. So let me set the context by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 26. Paul writes this. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is, whatever state he's in, to remain as he is. Now, that's a key phrase in this passage, present distress, and it's going to be a key phrase throughout our discussion. Uh, Most agree that Paul was speaking about a famine that was going through Greece. Remember, Corinth was a a very wealthy economic place, but now this famine had caused some, some trials to come. The famine uh, was causing a severe uh, food shortage and, and life was hard. And so the instruction that Paul gives the people in this passage is not universal instruction. Uh, it is not ongoing instruction. Paul is saying in the context of this present crisis, here are some things you need to be thinking about. Here are some things you need to be considering. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? That, that we're studying a present crisis in Corinth while we are going through a present crisis here in our country with the COVID-19. So there are going to be some ready lessons in this passage for us to learn. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 25. Paul says, Now concerning the betrothed, or the engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned, or if a betrothed woman married, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I want to spare you of that, Paul says. So Paul begins his instruction here to those who are 
engaged. And notice he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment. This doesn't mean this part of scripture is not inspired. It is God's inspired word. What it means is this. Paul is just saying that he cannot recollect any specific instruction that Jesus gave regarding this issue. And so he is speaking as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. That's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes in life, there is no specific biblical instruction. And so we have to look at the truth of scripture with the, in the context of, of the person of God and his work on our behalf and apply it in that way. We're doing that in our present distress uh, in our country. In that day, engagement was, a, was as binding as marriage. In fact, you weren't living together. Uh, you had not gone through the ceremony. You had not consummated uh, your, your, your relationship. But being engaged, it was, it was a, a, a binding uh, relationship. And in order to get divorced, you had to do that legally. A legal divorce was the only way you could break off an engagement. And so Paul says, if you're engaged, if you're bound to a wife, if you're committed to a wife, then don't break off the engagement. And he says, if you're not engaged in this present time, then just, just stay as you are for now, not forever and ever, amen, but just for now, during this present crisis, don't seek a wife. Now remember, Paul knows that marriage is a great gift from God. He's already said that. He'll say that in other letters, but he's saying just right now, think about the present crisis and and, and, and act accordingly to the things going on around you. Again, great application for us today. Look at verse 28. Paul says, but if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry have worldly troubles, and I want to spare you of that. Now, Paul, Paul's not saying that like marriage is a bummer. It's like, like a level two spiritual life fraught with the burdens of worldly troubles. He's, he's not saying that, that when a person is married, it's going to be more difficult and troublesome than if you're single. He's not saying that. Again, it's the norm to be married. God gave Adam to Eve and Eve to Adam, and he ordained marriage, and it is a great gift from God. Here, the only thing Paul is saying is that in the midst of this crisis, it's going to be harder to provide for a wife and a family, shelter, food, clothing, than it would be if you were single. And so Paul's just saying, just for now, just hold off, if you can, hold off on the engagement, hold off on the wedding. Look at verse 29. Paul says, this is what I mean. The appointed time has grown very short, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and let those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present world is passing away. Now, this is interesting what Paul says here. He says, first of all, that the, the time has grown very short and the present world is passing away. That has a few possible interpretations. Let me give you about three that a lot of commentators land on. Uh, John Calvin believed that Paul was talking about the brevity of life, that life is just short. And, and we know that, that's true. 
Others would say that the, 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 there's, a, there's a shortness of opportunity to minister to people before the persecution hits. Still others think that Paul was referring to the second coming of Jesus. He's coming back soon, and so time is short. Now we know this, that Paul is speaking in hyperbole to make his point. His words are not to be taken in an absolute sense. In other passages, he extols marriage and says what a great gift of God it is. In other passages, he talks about being happy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. In other passages, he talks about using your possessions for the glory of God. So Paul is not saying you forsake your wife, you, you forsake everything around you. Here's what Paul is saying in that, in that passage. He is saying that every believer should live with an eternal perspective. Every believer should live with an eternal perspective. We live in this world with all its responsibilities, but we belong to another world with eternal blessings. And so whatever we're going through, whether great joys or present crisis, whether we're married or single, whether we're engaged or already married, Paul says, you always live, you see life, you see your possessions, you see all relationships through an eternal perspective. Look at verse 32. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, but to be holy in spirit, body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Paul says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, that's what Paul is driving at. Your undivided devotion to the Lord. So here's what Paul's saying. Regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our present state, even regardless of the present crisis, Paul is saying we live with an eternal perspective. We never let temporal things in life outplay or outweigh the things that will last forever. So if you're married, you still live with an eternal perspective. If you're single, you still live with an eternal perspective. If you have a lot of stuff, you still live with an eternal perspective. If you don't have much, you still live with an eternal perspective. That's the trump card of the spiritual life. Always doing what God has called us to do and always looking beyond the present situation, even the present crisis, to eternal things. And so Paul would say here, specifically engagement and marriage, the goal of marriage is to live with an eternal perspective, honoring God together with your relationship and your resources. Certainly the husband and wife, they are to, they are to nourish their relationship. The husband is to please his wife and the wife is to please his husband. And kids bring great joy and great responsibility, great joy most of the time, but always great responsibility. And we are to parent well, but all of life is to be lived with an eternal perspective. We're to honor God with all our relationships, 
all our responsibilities and all our resources. And so Paul would say the same thing to the single person, the person who's not married yet. The goal of singleness is to live with an eternal perspective, honoring God with all your relationships and all your resources. Now, with this instruction, Paul does not want to put a burden on those who are engaged and really want to be married. Remember, he said earlier that if if you're burning with passion, it's better to be married than to stay single. And he doesn't want any man to use this as an excuse to put off the engagement as the woman you know, may continue to age and, 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 and may be out of even uh, an age where uh, bearing children is possible. So Paul doesn't want anyone to use this as an excuse not to get married. So notice what he says in verse 36. Paul says, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, toward his engagement, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever firmly establishes in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, is determined that in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he's going to do well. So then, he who marries the person he's engaged to does well, and he who refrains for marriage, we'll do even better. Again, the context is in this present time, for this time being. A woman, a wife, rather, in 30, verse 39, is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So he's saying there, uh, if a husband dies, or if a wife dies, the woman, the husband can be remarried, but make sure that person is a believer. Yet Paul says again, in this present time, in this present crisis, in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think I too have the spirit of the Lord in that. So in the context of this passage, Paul's saying there's a crisis going on in uh, Corinth. Something's going on that's out of your control. Present crisis, present distress. For those in Corinth, It was a famine. For us today, it's COVID-19, right? There's fear uh, and anxiety in our country. Uh, There's the threat of of spreading the virus and then overloading hospitals and and, and medical tests and procedures. Many unanswered questions. When we don't have answers to questions, it brings anxiety and it brings on fear. So as we think about the present crisis in Corinth and our present crisis today, let's think about five lessons that we can learn from this passage. Here's the first one. Accept the present situation as God's assignment. Accept the present situation as God's assignment. Go back and look at verse 17. Notice what Paul says. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Be content with what God has assigned to you. Trust God always for what he puts into your life. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Paul says then, 
let him not seek the removal of the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his calling uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Paul's giving examples. Be content with where you are. Look at verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now go down to verse 23. Check this out. Paul says, you were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men. Just think about that in our present situation. You were bought with a price. Therefore, don't become bond servants of men. Jesus ransomed us. He bought us out of slavery with his death on the cross. We were purchased from the slavery of sin, and that includes the slavery of fear. Don't be bond servants to men and their fear-mongering of men and the, and the truths of the untruths of exaggerations. We are not enslaved to the ever-changing message of man. We are committed to the unchanging truth of God and his word. Look at verse 24. Remember, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Verse 24. So brothers, generic, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, I love this, let him remain with God. Let him remain with God. Whatever condition, whatever situation, let him remain with God. So you may be in a present situation now, a health issue. I encourage you. Verse 24. Remain with God. Let him give you your comfort. Let him give you peace. Let him encourage you. And we pray for healing on your body. You may be in a tough relationship. Remain with God. Don't stray from him. Allow him to give you everything you need to get through this present situation you're in. You're in a circumstance. Paul says it's God's assignment to you right now. It may not be the the most pleasant assignment you've ever been in, but remain with God. Allow him to minister to you. Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to encourage you. Remain with him. Whatever the situation, cling to him. Psalm 16, 7 and 8 say this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Say this with me. Because he is at my right hand, I will what? I shall not be shaken. And one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. I love that. To me, I, when I see that picture, I think, of a, I think of a dad or a grandparent holding a little baby. My right hand is holding that little baby while that little baby clings to the father. And that's who we are, right? We cling to the father as his right hand upholds us. So the first thing that we would say is this, accept the present condition as God's assignment. He's in charge. He's in control. And whatever he's doing in us today, he's preparing us for what he has for us tomorrow. Number two, our present situation reminds us to live with an eternal perspective. Man, with all the technology 
and all the advantages of the modern world, with our economy hitting on all cylinders, with the stock market soaring, a virus hits China, spreads across the world, and we're now in a national emergency. Things come to a halt. Man, we are a vulnerable people, aren't we? And that's why our present situation reminds us to live with an eternal perspective. We're not made for this world. This world's always going to have a present crisis. When this is over, something else is going to come. But with an eternal perspective, we realize that God's on our side, that Christ came to die for us, and we're going to live forever with him in heaven. Psalm 73, verses 23 through 28. Listen to these words. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God, to remain with him. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your good works. Remember, we were made for eternity. We are in a present crisis. There'll be more in this life. But we have to keep an eternal perspective. And you know what? Not just during a present crisis. Keep an eternal perspective on relationships. Keep an eternal perspective in our marriage, in our parenting, in our possessions. Always thinking, how can we invest now and reap benefits and dividends for eternity. Number three, turn off the news and open your Bible. Turn off the news and open your Bible. If you haven't figured it out by now, the news is going to be dramatic as they possibly can for every situation that happens on this earth. And when we focus on man's message to us, fear and doubt roll in like 30-foot waves and crash into the shores of our soul. They produce anxiety that leads to more fear and then what ifs, unanswered questions lead to doubt. But God's word reminds us of God's promises. In an ever-changing world, we have these never-changing promises of God. In Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel are getting ready to go over through uh, the Red Sea. But the sea hadn't opened up yet. And the Egyptian army is right behind them. Listen to what Moses said to the people. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. I'm going to read that again. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. My favorite passage in all of scripture. The Lord will fight for you. Exodus 14, 14. Mark it down, memorize it. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. I love another translation. The Lord will fight for you, just stay calm. Whatever present crisis we're in, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord's on our side. We cling to him. He upholds us with his right hand. Just stay calm. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, but here's the deal, whose mind is stayed on you, who's in your word, who's focused on eternal things, not just the temporal. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Turn off the news and get in God's word. Number four, let any anxiety, and it's going to come up sometimes, right? Let any anxiety be a trigger for prayer. Let any anxiety be a trigger for prayer. That's what Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 tells us. Here's what Paul writes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Finally, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul says, here are the things you need to think about. Here are the things you need to keep your mind saturated with. Whatever is true, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever ever is commendable, whatever is, has excellence in it. Read God's word and let those promises soak into your soul. And then Paul, Paul says this, whatever you have learned and, and received and heard in me, Paul says, practice these things. And then he says what? The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. So let anxiety be a trigger for prayer. One more. Use the present situation to tell others about Jesus. We have a tremendous opportunity to tell others about Jesus. We have a tremendous opportunity to pray for other people. When people share their fears with us, we can say, you know what? I'd love to pray for you. Maybe I'd like to pray with you right now. Help out an elderly neighbor. Go to the grocery store for them. Run an errand for them. Do some yard work for them. Be a voice of calm in your workplace as you have the opportunity to appropriately share where that calmness comes from. Use the opportunity 
to tell others where, where they can find true and lasting peace regardless of this present crisis or another that might come that can be found in Jesus alone. In Matthew 9, verse 36, Jesus said this, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Man, that's who we're surrounded by, right? We're surrounded by people who have no shepherd. And we get, have the opportunity to share with everyone the good shepherd, the one who cares for them, the one who loves them, the one who came and died on a cross for their sin. So during this present situation, tell others about Jesus. Tell of the one who interrupted your life, who saved you from yourself, who saved you from your sins, who forgave you, and who right now gives you a peace that passes all human understanding. What a tremendous opportunity we have as believers to stand up and stand firm, not to panic, but to pray, and share Jesus with all those around us. So in 1854, a great cholera epidemic outbreak occurred in London. The English pastor C.H. Spurgeon and his congregation were a strong presence for Jesus in the midst of a challenging time. Spurgeon canceled a lot of his other engagements and some of his travel so he could minister to those in London. Twelve years later, 1866, there was another cholera outbreak And here's what Spurgeon said to believers in London. Listen to this. This is so applicable for us today. Spurgeon said, And now again is the minister's time. And now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see men more alarmed than they already are. And if they should be, Mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary. It's groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life for a look at the crucified one. 